You're listening to the Onside Podcast, the podcast for inclusive, innovation-driven entrepreneurship here in Atlantic Canada. I'm your host, Alex McCann, and this is Season 2, Episode 12, and the theme this month is Out of the Lab and Into the Market, Creating a Company. Today, I'm joined by Bronwyn Bridges, a PhD student in pharmacy at Memorial University in Newfoundland, who is the co-founder and CEO of Pragmaclin, a company focused on assessing and monitoring neurological conditions such as Parkinson's disease. Alongside her co-founder and COO, Gord Gensch, an entrepreneur who has Parkinson's, the pair are making a difference in the lives of patients with movement disorders. Their PRIM software runs tests on patients using cameras to remotely monitor motor and non-motor skills. Pragmaclin is a recent Volta cohort winner and has also won the top prize of $25,000 at the Mel Woodward Cup, a competition for startups connected to Memorial University. All right, Bronwyn, thanks so much for uh, joining us. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Happy to be here. Awesome. Well, we had a chance earlier to kind of learn a little bit uh, about your background and some of the things that you're interested in and how you got involved in researching neurological conditions such as Parkinson's and things like that. But maybe for some of our listeners who don't know you that well or haven't heard of Pragmaclin before, can you give us a a little bit of background about yourself and uh, maybe some of your work and your research and your studies? Yeah, of course. So my name is Bronwyn Bridges. I grew up in Summerside, Prince Edward Island before moving to St. FX in uh, Nova Scotia there. Went to St. FX for four years, taking a Bachelor of Science in Biology degree and minored in Psychology. Hmm. And uh, while I was taking that degree, I had some major concussions that took place uh, in my third and fourth years. And I also worked alongside a Parkinson's patient. Mm. So all of this combined stemmed my, you know, interest and piqued my interest into studying neurological disease. So I started uh, hunting down what programs I would be uh, eligible for with Mm -hmm. my grades and my background and what I have taken. Mm -hmm. And uh, I ended up coming across the Master's of Pharmacy program at Memorial University in Newfoundland. And decided that would be a perfect fit with my supervisor who was studying concussions and neurodiseases such as Parkinson's. Mm -hmm. So then I moved to Newfoundland and uh, started my master's program in September 2019. And... Shortly after that, we had a lab flood, then we had Snowmageddon, <laughs> and then we had COVID. So it was a stem uh, of a terrible few years of <laughs> first moving here. I think I brought all the bad luck with me. <laughs> but uh, it, was, it was really rewarding when I was first doing it. Mm. Um, I had a few hurdles that I had to overcome, ethics approval that took really long times, and, and working out of the lab because I couldn't be in the lab, things mm-hmm. like that. I ended up pivoting my research, uh, working alongside a Parkinson's patient, and we ended up developing a software that we developed called uh, PRIMS. So we started a company called Pragmaclin, and our first software, the PRIMS software, is an assessment tool that assists clinicians in providing better care for their neurological disease patients. Mm -hmm. And this stemmed from the burden on the healthcare system, the shortage of specialists with our aging population, and the long wait times and in-between appointment times Mm -hmm. that we currently have in our healthcare system. Although no fault of the neurologists, uh, it is a fault of the healthcare system that we currently have. Mm. And uh, we wanted to be able to make a difference because we wanted to be able to help 
help patients see help faster than Gore had to experience himself, mm-hmm. where he actually flew to Montreal for mm-hmm. an assessment and a diagnosis and then came back. Wow. So that's kind of how the research all stemmed into a company. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was a little bit of a blurry transition over two years, but uh, here we are. We are a startup based in Newfoundland now. Mm-hmm. We have won a few pitch competitions over the past few months, if you've seen us in the news. And uh Yeah, it's been a bit of a whirlwind. We developed our MVP and we're currently about to pilot actually some validation studies here in Canada. Oh, nice. So we have a contract for one of them to begin in Ontario at the moment Mm -hmm. um, with Obio, which is an organization that helps support bringing local innovations to the healthcare system. Oh, nice. I love that. I love it when uh, health authorities and groups and things like that try to work with upcoming companies that are starting up and have new ways of doing things, especially ones that are trying to alleviate some of the pressure that we face in the healthcare system. I, I think I had mentioned this before, but my uh, my father had uh, Parkinson's disease and actually my grandfather had Parkinson's disease as well. There's research that suggests that it's uh, more um, men that get it and, and some indications it could be genetic, but uh, we'll keep going with that. And I definitely know getting some uh, support, especially that can be delivered at home. As I understand your technology, you kind of use uh, remote monitoring type systems to help evaluate patients and things like that. Can you tell us a little bit about how it works just uh, so people have a sense of like what's going on? like? Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, so the system that we have, it has changed a tremendous amount since mm-hmm. we began. We had our first MVP developed by a local firm here, and then we realized, wow, tech is so expensive. Mm. Um, so we brought in <laughs> some of our own developers in-house instead, thanks to some wage subsidies from the province. Mm-hmm. Um, so now we actually have our own tech team, uh, which is way better for us, especially when we have things we want to change because mm-hmm. we can quickly implement and turn things around, which makes a world of a difference. And so we actually performed a usability study um, on bringing in a dozen Parkinson's patients in St. John's, brought them in, ran them through the full software and got feedback. And then because of that, we've kind of changed what our original plan was. So we have gone everywhere from like, this will be a device in a person's home, we will ship it out to, okay, maybe this isn't at home at all. And there's just an online portion. So we have been everywhere on the spectrum Mm. and tested all the avenues and the benefits for neurologists as well as Parkinson's patients. Because in order for Parkinson's patients to actually have better care, the neurologist has to uh, find the software useful, Mm -hmm. helpful, and save time. Or Mm -hmm. else why would they want to use the software? Mm -hmm. Mm And so a lot of our customer outreach and surveys and everything have led us to our system currently, Mm -hmm. which is a a kind of two-part system. There is a pre-appointment survey, similar to if you were to go for blood work and you're told to do certain things before you come in or certain tests and scans. So at home, before you come in for your appointment in the office, you would answer your self-assigned survey. um, And that actually is based off of an international scale that you would be asked in office by the neurologist or the nurse anyways. So this is now saving time mm-hmm. so they can see more patients. Mm-hmm. So you answer these surveys through either a computer, a tablet, a phone before you arrive at the office. When you arrive at the office, if you have or haven't done it, it would depend if you haven't done the survey, the iPad there, you would complete it before you start your assessment. And if you've done it, then you would go into the triage room 
where the prim system would be. Uh, and then you actually run through all of the motor tests that would mm -hmm. be done by the neurologist in the actual assessment typically. Yeah. So this is kind of like a twofold help. Um, we're hoping that patients are actually able to come in now maybe four times a year instead of twice a year or mm -hmm. once a year and have those um, those markers of how they're progressing over time so it's a little more accurate. Mm -hmm. um, but also then in terms will help the neurologist because instead of wasting a bunch of the appointment time going through tests that they didn't actually need to assess because mm -hmm. they were fine, they can see that just by looking at the report card uh, that was printed out from PRIMS. Mm -hmm. So now they can actually focus on the areas that need the most care and the most attention and uh, actually deep dive into what's causing a lot of the problems um, from the symptoms that the patients are are going through. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds, that sounds, I, I'm like, oh man, I wish they had that for more things, <laughs> more hey. things because sometimes you go to the doctor's office and you, you spend all this time doing kind of um, evaluation stuff, which you, you do want them to see, but you know, you're missing out kind of on, uh, on getting to mm -hmm. the priority areas or you don't have as much time and there's, you know, a waiting room full of people. Uh, and, and you're either on one end, you're either in the room with the extra time or you're in the waiting room like two hours later still waiting to get your appointment. So. Exactly. And so, yeah, we wanted to, I mean, obviously start with Parkinson's just because mm -hmm. it's, you know, near and dear to our heart. But the software that we have developed and the algorithms that we have are easily able to include other diseases mm -hmm. and motor spectrums Um quite easily. So, you know, that's brain injury, concussion, rehabilitation, stroke, MS, you name it, it could include these scales as well. Yeah. So we want to start with the Parkinson's community because that's where what triggered the uh, the beginning of all of it. But we uh, are also able to include so many other things and hope that this, you know, can alleviate a lot of the stress we have on the healthcare system with more objective reporting because everything right now is subjective. I mm -hmm. mean, I'm not downgrading anything a neurologist does because they are fantastic at what they do and they have the expertise in doing it, but it is all subjective and they know that and it's based off of their assessments that they have. So we wanted to actually be able to hopefully give them these objective measures that they can look at. They can look at it fast. They can see mm -hmm. a number and they can say, okay, yeah, I don't need to look at that today. We're yeah. okay on that. Yeah. Yeah. And you can see a wide range when you have that huge data exactly. set. It's like it's a really wide range. That's that's really great. Now, uh, we talked about this a little bit before. And, you know, your company is a early stage company. You yourself, you're still kind of going through your program, doing your research, your Ph.D., and you're working with your co-founder on launching this company and scaling it and uh, going out to pitches and, you know, doing all those things. And I've talked about this here in Nova Scotia. We also have a lot of companies that are kind of in the life sciences space and the med tech space. Um, and we have a growing number of those kinds of companies. And um, I'm kind of wondering, you know, what, what's been your experience or what has it been like to try to grow a med tech company? Like, what are the, some of the challenges that, that come along with that? Because um, so it's. Many. Yeah, so many, so many. So yeah. So what are what are what are some of those uh, those challenges? There's a lot of different things from the research to regulatory. Like, what's been your experience there? It really depends. First and foremost, what kind of avenue you're coming from as a founder. So for myself and my co-founder, I mean, he has business expertise in his previous life here, and I have the research expertise. But neither of us are the tech founder. And so when we started, we didn't have a tech founder and we've recently brought one on. But in those early days, you learn very quickly how much it costs to have tech development mm -hmm. and how expensive things can get, especially as things are changing. So as we're doing 
doing more customer surveys and we say, no, we don't need that. Or yes, we need to add that. It costs every single time we want to modify something. Mm -hmm. So I think the first thing is, yeah, the cost of a tech company. There's a lot of coders and developers that end up starting their own companies and they're able to work on this, but it is time consuming and that's taking them away from the business side of things. So having the right team, building the right team is Mm -hmm. crucial from day one. Mm -hmm. And I think we've done a pretty good job of finding the right people who have a passion for what we're doing. We are are selective in that if you don't have the right expertise, you don't check all the boxes on things, that's okay. We'd still love to hear from you if this is something you're passionate about, because if you're passionate about it, you can learn anything. And Mm -hmm. that's what I try and tell everybody. Finding expertise hasn't been super difficult. We've had a lot of nice connections through the community and the ecosystem here, um, forwarding us to good advisors and good mentors. Um, We have even found some people in the U.S. who have been great advisors for us as well. And I think that if you soft outreach people you know, they can soft outreach other people Mm -hmm. and you can pretty well find a good team to help you get over the humps that you might be having. One obvious thing for a startup is you can bootstrap for so long, but in med tech, it is very difficult to bootstrap Mm. your whole way there Mm -hmm. because like I said, tech is expensive. Regulatory is expensive. Everything, everything (laughs) is expensive. Mm -hmm. Um, And so having funding and the government and the programs all actually believing in what you're doing and actually funding Mm -hmm. and backing you in those early days is crucial. Mm -hmm. Um, You're going to come back and help the economy and help the ecosystem here. So if people are supporting you from the beginning, that is is crucial in those early days, Mm -hmm. especially knowing like I know myself, several med tech companies who are like, we only have this much runway left. And if somebody doesn't step in and help us right now, we're going under. Mm -hmm. And that's just so devastating to hear that there is these fantastic companies with amazing ideas that could change the world. Mm -hmm. And we have the local economy not supporting them, but supporting outside activities that are not even in the country. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think just really taking a step back and calling on the government and the organizations that are supposed to support us in the early days to help because that comes along with the regulatory and the IP and protecting Mm -hmm. everything. And if they want it all to say, you know, it was a local, for example, it was a local Newfoundland company, then we expect that there was support to keep us here Mm -hmm. from the beginning. Mm -hmm. And that comes with investment. I mean, there is investment uh, opportunities. If you're VC backable, they want to see profits within so many years. And as a med tech startup, that can be really hard. The sales cycle is so much longer and the regulatory process is so much longer Mm -hmm. that um, getting investors who understand that can be a little more difficult in the local ecosystem because a lot of it is is not med tech and not digital tech companies based. We see that a lot more up and coming and there is a lot more med tech companies on the rise, but I think think it's something that maybe they're not used to investing in Mm pre-pandemic. And so trying to kind of change focus and realize that technology can be super beneficial for everybody involved. Yeah. Yeah. No, you raise a really uh, important point because the the time horizon for a, a med tech or we're not even going to go into biotech, <laughs> like, but is 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 uh, is, you know, is much longer or clean tech um, is much longer. And, uh, you know, folks have been really excited about.
about all the SaaS companies or, you know, you know, people have been making apps or like all this kind of stuff. And that all of those kinds of things are are really great. But um, the time horizon for a, to, to just even to get a, a prototype or to get a medical device approved is just much longer, even before you actually even go to the market and any kind of um, change to your product or service or how something is rendered is, you know, takes just a, a much longer period of time. So I think that's a really, really important point to raise that's really crucial for folks who are looking at investment or developing or working on a company that's in that field. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you really, you need support from the early days or that runway just shortens and shortens and it is such a long process. So I just recommend you start early if you have an idea that you're passionate about and you mm -hmm. think that you could make something out of it, then make sure you have those conversations early on so that you're set up for success at a later date. That's really interesting. I mean, I think um, the trajectory of a of the timeline that it takes to build a med tech company is is really interesting. And, um, you know, you decided to start your company in Newfoundland, which you mentioned there are a lot of great things that are kind of going on that are happening in Newfoundland. What are some of the things that you're sort of seeing in Newfoundland or in Atlantic Canada that could really help companies that are in this space or in this field? Like, is there something kind of do you feel like there's something happening or is there a groundswell of activity that's that's going on that's making it right for a company like yours to kind of like emerge? Yes. Um, one program that has been a game changer for us is upcoming, uh, Bounce Health. They are based in St. John's and they literally take away the barriers for med tech companies, whether mm. that's providing help with law, um, providing opportunities for travel and networking, whether they're providing interns that you wouldn't otherwise be able to pay and afford. Mm -hmm. They also had an embryo grants competition where they awarded the top med tech companies some grants. Mm -hmm. um, so they have so many supports that are the exact barriers that they know med tech companies go through because they are people who have been through med tech companies and know mm -hmm. exactly the trajectory of how that goes. So they try and basically just take down walls mm -hmm. um, that you might, they might know that you're going to come up to. Mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of other regional supports that M MCE. So the MUN Center for Entrepreneurship, they're super helpful if you're a student looking to mm -hmm. um, progress your company. So they offer like work terms where you can take your research, you can get paid to work on it for a semester and try and turn it into into a company mm -hmm. um, instead of having to work another job. We have programs, you know, like uh, Genesis here as the incubator if you're already further along or you could do evolution if you're not. And, and even in Halifax, there's programs that because of COVID, it's made it possible that companies outside of the regional area can avail of. So we've taken advantage of um, Volta cohort mm -hmm. and ready to launch as well, which has been really great over the summers. It's a way that we actually have a stipend to continue to work on this full time. So mm -hmm. we're not working at a full time job right now. And mm -hmm. um, this is the job thanks to ready to launch. So <laughs> Uh, programs like that are so supportive and not only do they offer what could be monetary value, but a lot of advisory support um, mm -hmm. and connections. So even the connections, I think, are number one for us right now. Like mm -hmm. if you know anybody that can help us, I always <laughs> am like, reach out, please. Um, but I say that to everybody. And then same same goes the other way. If you have questions and you think I know somebody that and you saw somebody on my LinkedIn that mm -hmm. would be a good connection for you, happy to soft intro people. And I think that soft intros are what makes the ecosystem. It really is. That's so great to hear because um, I do think that over the last number of years, 
the number of supports that are out there are growing. I, I think that they were always there, but I do feel like in the last probably five years or so, uh, and maybe even because, I mean, I hate to say it, but I, even because of the pandemic, at least in our region here in Nova Scotia with the health system and all of these sort of you know negative impacts, uh, the focus or the refocus on health and needing to provide better care with limited staff, with doctors, nurses, and other practitioners completely stretched, I think there's a, a an acknowledgement of, of uh, the pressure that's on the system and that we, we do have to do things in a, in a new and in a different way. So there seems to be a bit of openness and a recognition that uh, now is the time to make ourselves open to companies like Pragmaclin and other companies that are trying to do that and, and creating supports and programs that allow you to actually uh, make it down the runway because uh, the valley of death in a startup is a real thing. And you're right, you know, it's one thing to be down in your basement programming <laughs> the, the night away or, you know, at a hackathon or something, but it's a little bit more hard to do when you have a, a tangible product and real patience and folks that you're you're not just making a a game app or something like that. So it's a little bit more involved. Um, and the exactly. regulatory is yeah. is, a, is a big hurdle as well. Have you found, I mean, I knew you're sort of at the beginning stage, have you found um, that there's something that's kind of more difficult to gain access to, whether it's talent or obviously we haven't, people haven't been able to travel, you know, to get to all the, the conferences and have a med and things like that. Is there is there something that you feel like could really make a difference? Yeah, there is. Um, there's a few different areas that could definitely make a difference for us and just kind of where we are and how what we had to overcome to get where we are now. One of them is if we're looking at staying in Canada and we're looking at to be a Canadian company, then it is having support from Canada. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and there is level companies and and things that will help or local programs, sorry, that will help, like I said, and I listed some there. But I think just, yeah, the access to funding is just so difficult and it might be there and you might be able to get it, but you might have one of your co-founders, for example, I think of Gord, spending months trying to put together an application that has a turnaround time of another six months and then another six months to even get paid. And you have to somehow have it worked into your cash flow because it's all reimbursable. It's not actually upfront money and it makes it really difficult like incredibly difficult for somebody who has to bootstrap out of their own pocket something that they believe in but if you believe in it they're like you'll do it if you believe in what you're doing and I understand that motive of you know we're not going to provide money up front if but even some portion of it like to try and make payroll and then have to wait several weeks to get your payroll back is hard it mm. is very very hard and access to finding out about regulatory we've been trying to hunt down billing codes and regulatory approval and things in Canada alone and the system is overworked so trying to have these conversations with neurologists is hard their time is limited and they don't have the time to spare to have conversations to answer all these questions mm. so to have a resource in the government or somewhere that can actually answer these questions that we're struggling with mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and then and the third would be trade commissioners are awesome and access to outside Canada is awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, some more support in trying to export as well, because that process, like we said, in Canada is so long to get the regulatory approval and the process of doing validation trials that you're now paying out of pocket for to even validate that it works is difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, so without external investment in a med tech company, it is going to be very, very hard to survive. And so we see ourselves being like, well, what if the U.S. market 
market is a better option because it's a faster turnaround time in the sales channel if it's private. And so we see ourselves looking at that. So having support that if you can't help us here in Canada, then how can you at least help us start in the U.S. to come back and help you here? Mm -hmm. Um, Because if if the resources aren't here locally, then they need to be somewhere. Yeah, I think that's a challenge for a lot of Canadian companies, not just in the med tech uh, space is the the market, the, the timelines. In some ways, it's great here in Canada. We have a very robust regulatory environment, want to make sure that everybody is safe and, you know, well cared for and all of those great things. But uh, it does create hurdles, especially for small growing companies that are hungry, but uh, really need to, to, to beat the pavement. And, you know, with a lot of stress and strain, especially in the, the healthcare system today, it, it does make it challenging. And you know, everybody loves the passion economy, but the passion economy goes like a lot further if you have like passion dollars to go with it. So we need like the passion economy with the passion dollars to, to, to I like kind of that. like I'm going to use that from now on. The passion dollars. Yeah. <laughs> Quote that in my next pitch competition. Yes. Yes. It. Yeah. Yeah. I'll just say line up the passion dollars here, people. Yeah. Um, I, I, and I really appreciate you sharing kind of like the challenges and what it's really like and what it feels like, because I can hear through you and, you know, what you told me about Gord, like how hungry and interested in, you know, you are in developing this company and, and all the things that you're learning along the way. And also the the great feedback that you're getting directly from patients and, you know, your neurologists and the doctors and the hospital system that are working with you. But then there's the everyday, you know, accounting and finance and operational stuff that you have to kind of manage through as well. Not everything is as fun as a pitch competition where people are like clapping and yay and all that kind of stuff. So so what's um, what's next on the horizon? Like, what are you going to be focusing on next? So I think you said you were doing your trials and those kinds of things. What does the next phase look like for you guys? Yeah, we're hoping to have our system, what we'll call clinic ready by quarter one, 2023 here. So we have a system and it works and everything, but we want it to be, like I said, the perfect child that we send out (laughs) into the world. Um, And so we want to have the system fully ready by Q1. And that looks like running these validation trials within Ontario. So we have a health authority who is interested in running it with their network that they have there, which is five hospitals to specializing in neurology. And that's all funded through OBIO. So we love seeing validation trials that are funded from the government. And so that will run when that software is ready in Q1 hopefully about six to eight months on timelines. And uh, during that, we're looking at uh, what it looks like to actually run a trial in the U.S. And that's to begin that FDA regulatory process and approval, possibly only needing a 510K and piggybacking Mm -hmm. off of something very similar in a different context. Mm -hmm. But we have to kind of hunt that out. So the next six months look like working with the advisor that we currently have and scoping out the buyers and why they would buy it um, and what the sales channel is going to kind of look like for us if we enter the U.S. market. And not to say that we're not doing the Canadian market because that's also not true, but we have to kind of simultaneously run these things parallel um, in order to not sit at a standstill for forever waiting for regulatory. Um, The hope is that the validation trials in Ontario go well and we can actually have procurement out of it in the end, whether that's locally through Newfoundland or through through Ontario. But regulatory approval, like I said, is a long process and we can't sit around and wait for it. So we're going to run these trials and and hopefully have the results that we're looking for. And um, 
over those next six months, we're um, raising an investment round of a million dollars, and that's going to be enough runway for us for the next year to run these trials. So that is pretty well where my time is spent now for the next six months is, uh, is seeking funding and and raising around. And uh, Gordis is currently looking for some more government funding projects for us to mm-hmm. hold us over as well. But like I said, long turnaround times can make it a little more difficult. So we're looking at what our options are and, and hopefully being able to keep everybody um, on the same path and trajectory. Awesome. Awesome. Well, that's that's so great. I, I have two final questions that I just want to ask. One was a quick question that I had. I know we, we had a chance to talk before in one of our previous episodes, but have you been able to find community with other women entrepreneurs who are focused in the med tech space? What What is that like? Is there... What's what's happening it's there? So fascinating. Everybody <laughs> is so awesome. <laughs> they are so supportive. Uh, it is it is so wonderful. There is um, a few series actually that are put on across the country that are like a women in tech breakfast series. So I've been to some of those. We do, we do meet some some really wonderful people there, but it's a little less personal. But locally, they are actually they. A founder or CEO of a company here started a network. It's called Techity. Like oh, I like that equality. Yeah, so it's very cool. Um, But it's like tech and then equality all together. I love it. Um, And so we actually have these monthly workshops, and we all sit in a room together. There's like 50 of us, and we talk about the challenges and what we're facing and how to overcome things. And there's like a new topic every month. Um, And we also have a Slack channel, so we can just message. We have advice to give, or we need advice on something. So the network is there and there is women who are all kind of in the same boat and it just takes one to kind of start the fire and then it starts burning. And uh, like I said, Bounce Health, also a really great network to actually, you know, find the same people in the same field and then narrow it down. There is women here. I'm not the only lady in the room. (laughs) Um, And we kind of have come together to to work on what we love and and find where the gaps in the system are and how we can be helped in that way. And I know there is like also national national um, programs and funding opportunities like women in tech and mm-hmm. and things like that. So there there is lots of programs out there out there. Sorry that uh, can help women in this mm-hmm. field. It's just a matter of having the right conversations with the right people. Yeah. Okay. I love that tech I, I, That Just by the name, it's like, oh, I got to go check that out. So uh, for folks who are out there, check it out. Sounds really great. And, and my last uh, question, another one we like to uh, ask our guest on the podcast is because you were, you know, we're focused on innovation driven entrepreneurship here at Onside. And I'm wondering how you would define innovation driven entrepreneurship. What does that mean to you? taking something you are passionate about and following it through until the very end, uh, there is entrepreneurship in everything. You could literally go out and sell you water. You know what I mean? You can sell absolutely everything, right? That's a big business. And people have done that. <laughs> so I know. It's crazy. There's water everywhere, and yet we still we still sell it. It's crazy. But um, I, that's just my, my experience is that I did not think that this idea would become a company, and that was not the goal when I started. It was just having passion about something, working on it, realizing that we were making a lot of progress, and kind of looking back and being like, oh, yeah, we should probably turn that into something um, before somebody else takes it. Mm. Um, and then it's just a matter of finding those right resources who put your IP in place who help you with the next steps and where you're going and and then all of a sudden it blows up so mm-hmm. innovation uh, can go in a million different directions 
But if you have passion about something and you believe in what you're doing, like I said, you can sell that to anybody um, mm-hmm. because they will believe in you if you believe in yourself. So yeah, I think that would be my my advice to that of, of how I would define innovation-driven le- uh, entrepreneurship mm-hmm. is uh, taking something you're passionate about and, and turning it into your daily life. And that could be your career forever. Wow. I love that. I love that. <laughs> well, that is so great. That is so great to hear your your thoughts and your enthusiasm um, around that. And and I love, especially for folks that are coming out of science-based fields and, and uh, things like that, or who are like, ah, oh, what am I going to do next? You know, follow your follow your passion and create your own uh, create create your own path, basically. Um, so, if folks want to learn more about you, Bronwyn, and and your company and those kinds of things, how what's the best way to to learn about you? Uh, you can check out our website, so pridewinclin.com, but you can also find Pride McClin on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook. We are everywhere. Uh, and then you can also just connect with myself on LinkedIn, so Bronwyn Bridges on LinkedIn. Um, happy to chat, happy to give soft intros, and happy to have conversations about anything you thought was interesting. Okay. Very good. Very good. Yes. I think uh, a lot of uh, folks who are interested in what's happening with Parkinson's, happening with the med tech space, will be really interested to learn more about your company and see where you're going and see where you're growing. Uh, for those of you who are interested in learning more about Onside and our work around innovation-driven entrepreneurship, you can check out our inclusive innovation monitor that's focused on looking at the metrics and the drivers around an inclusive economy here in our region. And I encourage you to check out our website, onsidenow.ca. And as we come to a close, I'd really like to thank Communities, Culture, and Heritage for your support. We're so grateful for your support and helping us make this podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in, and we can't wait to have you join us next time. Thanks. This has been a Podstarter production. production.